Now, I think most people know exactly what New York values are. I am from New York. I well, 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 you're from New York, so yeah. you might not. But I promise you, in the state of South Carolina, they do. And, and listen, there are many, many wonderful, wonderful working men and women in the state of New York. But everyone understands that the values in New York City are socially liberal or pro-abortion or pro-gay marriage, focused around money and the media. And, and I guess I can, can frame it another way. Not a lot of conservatives. This episode of Blop Culture is brought to you by Harry Shave. Overpaying for drugstore razor blades is a bad habit that you should leave behind. Make the smart switch to Harry's. Use the coupon code GLOP. And by Casper Mattresses. Get $50 toward any mattress by visiting www.casper.com slash GLOP and using the promo code GLOP. Terms and conditions apply. And by SaneBox. Get your inbox under control. Go to SaneBox.com slash Ricochet for a special offer for the listeners of Glop. So this is Glop Culture, January, middle of January, snowstorm are coming to hit the uh, the East Coast and yeah. uh, a Trump <laughs> storm coming to hit Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, this is John Powers in New York. With me, as always, is Garth. I mean, Jonah Goldberg. In Any reference? I was, uh, I was waiting me, to see which dated, one of us was Garth. That's me. Yeah. Dated reference. <laughs> Extremely dated reference. Mr. Although I Mr. commend Mr. you, John, your your NPR voice at the top of the of the podcast is getting really, really good. This is Clop, brought to you by Sainbox. Get your inbox under control. It's re- you got it. You got that 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 kind of breathy whisper, urgent breathy Thank whisper. You. You, you should talk Thank about you. your sweaty balls. Yeah, that's another dated reference. Uh, speaking of break dated reference, let's jump reference. in for one second. I mean, because that's I told- Rob Long, by the way, I mentioned Jonah Goldberg in Washington. This now speaking, Rob Long in uh, in Venice, California. I am in I'm in I'm in Venice, California, where it's nice and sunny. So, uh, <laughs> suckers. Um, <laughs> I was I, I was in um, as you know, I'm sort of bouncing back and forth between the coasts, and so my car is back east. I drive my car back east to take my dog because I don't want to put her under the plane um which is i can i know i can say on this podcast because i'm only only one of two insane dog lovers on this podcast but um so i'm taking a lot of ubers and lifts while i'm in la which is actually great but it means i have to listen to npr a lot because they these they listen to npr on the radio um and um i heard the most amazing story a most amazing interview between ari Who's the White House guy, the political guy Ari on? Fleischer? Ari, uh, no, not, no, not no, Ari. Ari, 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 the guy that the, he's, he's the reporter. Shapiro. Shapiro. Ari Shapiro. Ari Shapiro. And Hillary Clinton. And it was insane. <laughs> insane. I thought I was kind of like taking a snooze a little bit in the back seat. And I thought this, I was, I was dreaming it. It was, um, how do you stay uh, uh, healthy uh, during the campaign? I mean, this is a day after the Inspector General has the said emails? that she is, she is literally a felon. <laughs> and let me ask you something: Do you find on the trail that it's fun meeting other people? It's, it's unbelievable softball. And then at the end, he had to say, "And we'll have more of that interview later, including um, some questions about the the recent uh, uh, email." It was un, un, I've never heard. Uh, I, I know, I know. This is an idiotic thing to start a podcast saying, "Hey, fellas, do you know NPR is totally biased?" But this was <laughs> crazy. It was as if this is Kim Jong Un style. 
stuff. <laughs> you know, Matt Continetti of the Washington Free Beacon pointed out the other day that the New York Times put the story about the uh, inspector general saying that uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, had gone uh, far beyond uh, top secret in her in her misuse of uh, of information on her homebrew server. A brilliant piece by Jonah explaining yet again that the server is the smoking gun. Uh, on on NRO, which you guys should look up. Uh, Matt pointed out that the article hit newsprint at the bottom of page 16. The bottom of page <laughs> A, A16, that the <laughs> leading candidate for the presidency in the Democratic Party um, has effectively been uh, accused uh, without yet uh, any indictment of felonious activity, and um, it is on um, A16. Fortunately, since as we have now learned from a report uh, on Medium um, uh, the, uh, by, by Rich Tofel, who used to run um, the uh, Dow Jones, um, uh, no, literally no one in America, practically no one is buying newspapers anymore. Um, number the New York Times numbers sales of the New York Times are now down below four hundred thousand a day. Um, uh, and, they don't print the uh, news. <laughs> they don't, so they don't tell so, you when the movies are. Nobody knows where things are. In the, <laughs> the Times can no longer bury stories because because no one looks at the paper. So if they even if they even run a story, it has as much likelihood to go viral if it's on page A282 as it is on, on, on A1. So there's at least a, that. You also don't, and, need a, you don't need a paper for the movies. Anyway, go ahead, Joe. Sorry. Since we're talking about uh, uh, NPR interviews, I happen to catch – and it's on my head just because I'm – as this podcast rudely interrupted uh, my writing of a column about this. But uh, Dave, uh, Steve Inskeep, who I like, I think it does, tries to be do a good job – interviewed Jane Mayer on her new book, Dark Money, The Hidden History of the Rise of the Radical Right. And um, and it's all about the Koch brothers, as you know. But anyway, so it's all of this, you know, as, as almost only Mayer can, it's all of this sinister innuendo about their, their, their scary agenda, which has been, as Andy Ferguson pointed out in Commentary Magazine, has been hiding in plain sight for 40 years. One of the Koch brothers ran for president on the libertarian ticket. It's not like, you know, they're, they're James Bond villains trying to, you know, poison the atmospheres so they can take their fertile and nubile young females back from their orbital harems <laughs> so that they can then, you know, repopulate the planet, right? And anyway, so he's trying to get her to say, so what is so bad about this? What is, what is it that they're actually doing? And she says in like these hushed and sinister tones, what people need to understand is they are trying to influence the way people think about the conversation we're having in this country and how people vote. And like you're like it's, – it's like I've seen an airplane where you're waiting for the, the spear to go flying into the wall. Go, Chung! Like yeah and – I mean like like – the New Yorker isn't trying to do that. That isn't like almost the textbook definition of democracy. And it was just sort of this fascinating thing that it, it, she thinks and talked about it. And the NPR audience, you can almost hear. Oh, my God. 
the ponytails nodding up and down across <laughs> the United States as they found out that these evil billionaires are trying to do exactly what everyone else in politics for the last 5,000 years has been trying to do. Anyway, I thought it was really funny. It reminded me of that. You know, that was, another, uh, that was another dated reference because I don't think people have ponytails anymore. What they have, Jonah, are man buns. Man buns. And, oh, you didn't see. I tweeted about this yesterday. The latest hot thing is the man braid. Yeah, yeah. Which is uh, like a braid, but that it swirls around the top of your head, sort of the way sort of a, a sacrificial virgin before she's thrown into the volcano would have it. And it, it goes like around the top queen. of your head. Like a little Dairy Queen on top of your head. Yeah, yeah. Although the model that they picked for it, it was from the UK Vice. Uh, the model that they had sporting it looked like right off camera, there was some fashion editor for the website holding a gun to his head. <laughs> he was like so miserable. Well, I'm doing it. I'm going to, I'm going to start doing it. I, I would, well, I would, I, 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 start microdosing LSD. There's no, there's no end to the things. Well, because I'm going to be like at peak performance. So I'm going to need to, I'm going to need that extra energy, you know, that extra energy bolt on the top of my head, like a, like a, like a science fiction character. If I had more than uh, seven strands of hair, I might consider doing it. Yeah, I don't think you're – you're not a man bun so much. It's like a man – Billiard ball. I'm a man billiard ball is what you're saying. A man brioche. You look like I'm, a man, I'm a man nine ball. Uh, <laughs> so, um, Can I uh, – before we continue, uh, can I just say that I um, – that we had – we said goodbye to um, two very, very um, – uh, distinguished and popular and accomplished musicians, not distinguished, but popular musicians um, in, since our last glop, David Bowie and Glenn Fry. It, it's Glenn Fry, right? It's not Glenn Frey. It's Fry. Fry. Um, and I would like I to. I don't know that, by the way, for a fact. It's just the way I've I been saying like it for 40 yeah, years. So I'm going to just keep saying it that way. Yeah, I would it's like not to like quote. Cheney, Dick Cheney thing. It's, uh, right. it's pretty, I'm pretty sure it's Fry. I would like to quote um, Dr. Ben Carson, who tweeted uh, at when Glenn Fry died, he, this was his tweet. Take it easy, Glenn Fry. It's your turn for that peaceful, easy feeling. For the rest of us, it's going to be a heartache tonight. Nice. Yeah. So, out of touch? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, and one thing you can say about this election is you can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. Exactly right. I mean... We are now, uh, what are we, uh, 12 days from uh, the Iowa caucus and uh, basically this election has been going balls out for a year and my sense is that everybody is going insane. Everybody whose uh, profession in part involves monitoring um, this election closely uh, is in a is in a condition of cabin fever and um, and uh, sort of relentless uh, overdosed uh, you know overstimulation of a sort that I, I don't re- ever recall uh, anything with the exception maybe of the year of Monica Lewinsky um, uh, ever happening uh, and the Florida so recount sort of, yes well that was thirty six days. Yeah, and very weird. Thirty-six right? days. This is now three hundred and sixty-five days yeah. of of a kind of intimate hour by hour dissection of the 
nature of the body politic, what's going on with the polls, the rise of this one, the fall of that one, the come of this, the this or that, blah. and then of course the the uh, the uh, the psychic journey uh, following um, Hillary uh, as she uh, enters the race. Uh, puts her foot in her mouth 16 times, starts getting stuff about the servers uh, slamming into her, um, and then, of course, uh, Trump arriving uh, in the middle of the year to change the complexion of uh, American politics in a way that I don't think anybody ever has. Um, And I think everybody is going nuts, and the one really good thing that is going to (laughs) happen is that now – Actually, voters are going to start saying something instead of everybody intuiting what people might be feeling on the basis of extremely uh, incomplete and uh, historically inaccurate uh, information. We so, hope. <laughs> well, they'll be saying yeah, no, something. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying. My, my presumption is that you know Occam's razor. The the famous thing is that uh, for for months and months and months, one could deny the possibility that. You know, Trump was ahead. This was that. That was that. Occam's razor is getting closer and closer and closer. And you know, one can't exactly deny the totality of of the you know anecdotal and circumstantial evidence suggesting that something very big may be on the way. Um, But as I say, we are actually going to have elections (laughs) starting, so that everything which is about the I think it could be. You don't know. But, you know, in fact, here's one theory of why it is that this, and this lane and there's the establishment lane and there's the non-establishment lane and there's the evangelical lane and there's the governor's lane and there's the senator's lane and there's the non-politician's lane and there's this and there. And now we'll actually have real things happening that will actually really affect people. I'm going to miss this part, I think. I don't think you're going to miss it. You really feel like you're going to miss it? This has been – I mean – I'm used to it now. You know how when you're used to something and you just think, ah, oh, let's, let's, let's stay, stay here. It's the thing. It's the prison thing. You're in prison. You okay. Like the, like the routine. I yeah, like also, the routine. John, John there, yes. if there's one, and you know this far better than I, if there's one overriding uh, lesson of Jewish history, it is that it could be worse. <laughs> it could be worse. And then it gets worse. It could be worse, and then it gets worse. That's, of course, what I think is – listen, if I had said to you two weeks – just two weeks ago that we would be spending two days, two weeks hence, parsing the interior monologue exposed to tens of millions of people in exterior fashion of Sarah Palin – Oh, come Just on. Just two weeks ago, well, I, you I, said I, that I was a crazy person. No, oh, no, I wouldn't have. I would have. I, uh, what, what do you think? That this, was a, this is a Sarah Palin banquet happening. She was a, the invisible guest at all of it. I could not imagine a scenario in which Sarah Palin did not insert herself in a public fashion into this particular circus. I would have been more surprised by a prediction about the birther insanity in Ted Cruz. Um, but right. I take your point. Well, obviously. Now, so so I'm not following talk radio, but according to uh, the people on Twitter who I know are following talk radio, Mark Levin did a like a couple hours just sort of eviscerating Trump the other day um, in defense of Ted Cruz. Mm-hmm. And I feel well, like I think 
And I may mm-hmm. be doing Mark a disservice because I, but I feel like he's been also doing before that a kind of a, a couple hours every day of a pro-Trump stuff. So is the is the is is that a problem? I, I don't. I mean, I don't know who listens to this talk radio stuff and, and who also has a job. Um, <laughs> but some people do, I guess. They listen to it at work or on the way to work. It's, it's, I'm in the wrong time zone for it, but um, I think that's a sign of something. Yeah, well, it's like uh, Mark Levin turning into uh, J. Alfred Prufrock. You know, this is not what I meant at all. <laughs> this is not it at all. I'm You're glad not you supposed actually, to be going after a politician that. that I like. Yeah, I'm glad You're you actually, only supposed to attack politicians that I don't like. Glad you That's the way it's supposed not, to work. I have not read the Prufrock poems for four, almost 40 years, so thank you for them. I, I, all I know is they didn't want to eat a peach or something. But, right. but Jonah, what were you going to say? Yeah, I mean, it, it shows that the theory that a lot of us had that that some of the guys in talk radio were using Donald Trump as a um, as a steamroller to clear out a path for Ted Cruz was largely right about Mark Levin, um, but not necessarily right about Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram and Rush Limbaugh. Now it could be. You know, I, I know some people who were sort of playing that game. I'm not going to speak out of school, but who were playing that game, saying this is fun. The establishment deserves this. Trump is giving people, right? You know what they deserve. Um, who are now saying, oh, I think he'd, he'd actually make a really good president. And uh, I think that's bizarre to me, but you know, it, I think it's sincere. Uh, what I find, I, I think, I, I did a long post on the corner about this yesterday. I think part of the problem is that. Um, and is that basically people have been using anti-establishment as synonymous for conservative. And so while it, and they, and so the Venn diagrams have gotten all messed up. Ted Cruz, whatever his fault, and he has many, and depending on who you listen to a great deal. Um, but no one, even his harshest critics deny that he's a conservative. Right. And he's also anti-establishment. Um, no way do Trump's harshest critics on the right will they ever concede that he is a conservative. I certainly won't. And um, but they're both anti-establishment. And so a lot of the talk radio talk, a lot of the pro-Trump, pro-Cruz talk has been been using these terms interchangeably. And now all of a sudden, with just two weeks to go before the Iowa caucuses, it turns out that when Trump and Cruz fight each other, the cognitive dissonance. For these people is for a lot of these people is really rough. I was on Sean Hannity's show the other night, and I wrote about it in the corner, where he said, "You know, this time it's different because conservatives like Ted Cruz, um, and they don't want to see Trump going after Ted Cruz." And the assumption behind that is that somehow it was the the people that Trump has gone after before that were not conservatives and had no support from conservatives, which is utter nonsense. Right? Rick Perry, Bobby Jindal. You know, Marco Rubio, that's support from Jeb Bush. You know, you can say that they're, they're that you don't want them to be president or you think they're a bad candidate or they're not conservative enough. But the idea that they're not conservatives um, just because you can call them establishment is is a, just a profound category error. And so here's the question yeah. I have, which I'm fascinated by. We're now in a lot of reports. You know, uh, the guys over at uh, First Read have just had a thing about this, Chuck Todd's crowd. Um, there have been a bunch of other reports. Ted Cruz said it this week that the establishment – is realizing that Rubio can't win it, so they're now rallying around Trump. Mitch McConnell, Bob Dole, a lot of these guys, you know, they float this idea that somehow Trump would be better as a candidate than Cruz. 
Um, and so what I want to know is since I'm an establishment guy because I'm critical of Trump, if Trump becomes the establishment, am I now an anti-establishment guy? Right? Does that, do I get to say, oh, you establishment guys with te- you know backing your billionaires and Donald Trump and he's the establishment candidate? Um, and it just the point is is that there's no ideological content to being anti-establishment. Bernie Sanders and Occupy Wall Street are anti-establishment. That doesn't mean they're conservative. And I think this this confusion has really messed up a lot of people on the right. I mean, I, I'm know, confused by it. I, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I this is what's driving me to microdose. Uh, just, um, but, but you're right that Bernie Sanders and, and, and Trump seem like they have the same kind of you know thing going on. This this stick your finger in the eye of the establishment, good or not, good or bad. But what I love about the Bob Dole comment was Bob Dole's not a conservative, right? <laughs> he is he 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 he's ideologically aligned with Donald Trump. There's probably nothing that Donald Trump says that I mean Bob Dole didn't run on. Uh, taking care of federal entitlements, um, and well, the, just the, like the just great like line Trump. from Bob Dole, if you remember, was when Bob Dole told, um, I, I, not CPAC, but like some big Republican confab, when he was trying to get the nomination in, for '96, he said, "Hey, look, I'll be your Ronald Reagan if that's what you want me to be," <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is the essence of Donald Trump's whole approach, right? Yeah, it's like. Yeah. He had a whole bunch of guys in a room who told him, "This is what the conservatives want to hear from you. So go say that, and they'll they'll love you." And 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 lo and behold, it's kind of worked. Yeah. He's saying what he thinks he needs to say, but no one actually believes that he. I mean, I shouldn't say no one actually believes it. There are a lot of people who believe it, but I don't see why you should ha- take it on faith that because Donald Trump says something now that his positions as of eighteen months ago weren't sincerely held. It's just it's an amazing suspension of disbelief. Well, uh, there's, 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 there's a biblical scripture about that in two, in two Corinthians. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that wasn't his fault. That wasn't his fault. Didn't it's you? The Bible's fault. This? No, no, no. Tony Perkins of the Family Research Council wrote it down on a piece of paper, and so he said two Corinthians because Tony Perkins wrote two Corinthians sixteen or something, and 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 presumed that Which Trump would write know. It down for a while would know that you were supposed to say Second Corinthians. Um, but then Trump said that his Scottish mother would have, would have said too, because I'm sure his Scottish mother was constantly citing uh, the, the Pauline epistles, you know, as he was growing up. Um, you know, in, I mean, I think if you've ever met anyone who grew up bathed in the rhetoric of St. Paul's epistles, uh, it, would be, it would be Donald Trump. Um, I, I just don't think there's any argument there. But uh, my my I think a lot of chickens are coming home to roost in 2016 for everybody. And one of those is this phenomenon of the right slicing and dicing itself um, over the last uh, uh, 10 years, uh, all of which is about attempting to diso- – people attempting to dissociate themselves – from views that they do not share or ideas that they do not share or policies that became unpopular um, that are argued for and espoused on the right by saying those are not conservative. So they don't count. You can't blame me for them. They are not conservative. Wait, what what, what I think is conservative and the problem what what do I mean? Yeah, just an example. Like I mean just just so I can wrap my head around this. Okay. I so, think I agree with it, but I don't know. I mean, I actually think that you know, the most controversial issue of all, right? 
um, uh, immigration. So uh, there is a large body of opinion on what used to be called the right that was extremely liberal, let us say, on immigration, on the grounds that you know immigration yeah. is a net positive to the economy, that it, uh, it, it creates a dynamism, that it creates employment opportunities – um, that people around the Heritage Foundation were believers in this, like Julian Simon um, in the 1980s and Ronald Reagan himself and all of that. And so, now, so, wait, so now that position is considered not conservative? Having, or ha- the other yes. position is considered not conservative? No, the, that position is now anathematic to a whole bunch of people. And what they say is not it's a bad idea it's wrong. It's a, they say it is not conservative. If you believe that immigration is a net positive for the United States, you are no I, longer here's, here's a conservative. What, here's what I think is weirder about it is that the people who are in favor of um, – or, or who are radically in favor of, of, of border security. So for the people for whom when I say, hey, listen, I'm in favor of border security, that, that doesn't seem emphatic enough to them. Um, they they never say something is, is is conservative or not conservative. If anything, they have this kind of weird disdain for the word now, um, and they decide they, they've decided the barn is on fire, and we don't I don't care who's a conservative anymore. Whoever is going to build a wall is my candidate. Um, which, it's weird to me that they think that Donald Trump's going to build a wall since Donald Trump hasn't really shown consistency in any of his positions ever in his whole life. But so 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 that. That to me is what's interest, interesting. Is actually how how the word no longer matters to the people who are voting for Donald Trump. I, I mean, I, like, I, like, I don't, how, I just, how how many years have we? How many cycles have we seen? I mean, just to take another issue or any kind of social conservative issue. Candidates going to evangelicals and making statements that you know that were, sounded weird coming from them. George H. W. Bush in in nineteen eighty eight saying, "Hey, listen, I'm a born again Christian." You know, like really from Greenwich Country Day School, um, but he had to do it because he had to do it because it was a powerful voting block. Now, I mean, now that those that an enormous proportion of those evangelical social values, family values, values voters, whatever uh, Ralph Reed calls them today, are going to vote for Donald Trump. I mean, I feel like if I was a politician back in the day, I'd feel like a, I'd feel like a total moron. I, I, just, well, I don't understand. I don't. I don't agree with this. I, I just want to disagree with this analysis on this on on these grounds, which is well, you're wrong. I'm sure that's I'm sure that's true of some people, but it is also true that if you ask people who do not like Marco Rubio because of his stand on immigration, they will say that Marco Rubio, who has a 94 percent conservative rating from Heritage Action, that Marco Rubio is not a conservative because of his stand on immigration. That is. That is root core point one that is said that he is a rhino or he is not a conservative or he is so establishment that he – they don't say he's a corporatist. They don't say he's a sellout to Wall Street. They say he is not a conservative because – and my view is that the word conservative has now come to mean for a great many people. No. I – what I think – is conservative. Well, that's, oh, if well, there is anything in but particular, a, I, I got to tell you, you, as a moderate, otherwise. as a extreme moderate rhino weirdo, yeah. I have been yelled and called not a conservative my entire life. I mean, yeah. I go to it's a joke. If you go, I have dinner at the National Review for whatever reason. They all kind of ah, you're not you sit at the not conservative table because I differ on abortion or on right. gay marriage. 
So people have been doing that forever. Anyway, Joe, right, right but I'm saying, but it's gotten more. This is what's interesting because obviously you could say, I'm, I'm, I don't mean to, you know, like silence Joan here, but you could say that abortion as an issue um, on the on the right has been a kind of you know bellwether for like 30 years, or or gay ma- or you know sort of marriage traditionalism has been a bellwether for 30 years, and that to have a have an unorthodox position about it. Um, you know, means that you set yourself a little bit apart. What Jonah I'm talking settle about this. Is, okay. But in 2011, no, I, I, I think, I think in 2011 both- if you weren't for the government shutdown, you were not a conservative. Wait, Jonah settled this. Who's yeah, right? No. Me, right? I'm right. <laughs> I think you're both, you're, both, you're both largely right. I make two points, one on the analytical side. Um, I think one of the things that um, – you need we need to keep in mind is that the the credibility of I mean I hate the word establishment the credibility of the powers that be both in the Republican Party the conservative commentariat um, and politicians generally their credibility the trust level is so gone that um, this sort of you know, saying this is conservative and that's not conservative thing is sort of lost on people because we we don't have the credibility that we once had and. And that's probably largely our fault, or whatever. We can we can dissect that for, on the post-election cruise um, in November. Um, but one of the other things I think a lot of people haven't taken into account is that as the Republican Party in, is, has become more and more of a white party, where we've we've won over all of these sort of Reagan Democrats, Southern Democrats, Southerners who used to be Democrats and and are, have become Republicans. Not so much because they agree with. The Republican Party, it's that the Democratic Party has become so culturally alienating and foreign to them that they have no other home. And at least the one thing they know about the Republican Party is that Republicans and conservatives like this country. They like the military. They speak a patriotic language that appeals to those people. But when it actually comes out, comes down to sort of programmatic political priorities, they're not for getting rid of Medicare. They're not forget, you know, they're not necessarily bought into the libertarian stuff. They're much more sort of Jacksonian and nationalist. And and so someone like Trump appeals to a lot of those guys, and that's why they wait for three hours in Alabama to go to go hear him talk. The thing I don't quite understand is um uh why it is that, you know, these just using a sort of public choice theory approach to this, right? And let's assume that Groups like the Family Research Council or Ralph Reed's groups or, or um, you know, pro-life America, you know, whatever, the, the sort of social conservative institutions that have had, whether you want – whether Rob would call it a stranglehold, whether I would call it uh, a large influence in the Republican Party and the conservative movement for the last 30 years, you would think that just as a matter of protecting their own monopoly or or market share or skin in the game their investment in the political organization of 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 the right you would think some of them would have seen the threat that Donald Trump poses to them i mean any other republican politician if he had said when asked who would you appoint to the supreme court and his first impulse was to say his sister who in pro life circles is widely known as an extremist pro-choice left-wing activist judge, you would think that alone would have gotten the press releases flying to beat him back. Just not not just just as a as a matter of protecting their own self-interest, and yet 
the amazing thing to me is that Trump is so successfully ensorcelled or bulldozed or whatever you want to call it. So many segments of the right that his popularity and his populism is so powerful that all of these guys decided we don't need the trouble. We'll hang back and let somebody else go after him. And now it's, it's largely too late. And that's the, that's the, that's the hilarious irony that Ted Cruz is in, um, where Ted Cruz hung back, let everyone else attack Trump, let Trump attack everybody else. And now he's standing there saying, Hey, how come no one's coming to my defense when Trump is attacking me? And, you know, and is just saying all these unconservative things. And it's because, you know, where were you when we, when we needed you? And that's the same predicament a lot of guys in talk radio were in. Whereas like they, they, they backed this horse for the wrong reasons for too long. And now it's, it may be too late for them. And, and, but it depends on what you call the reasons. This is the, this is the complex condition here because the reasons, you're saying that as a matter not only of self of principled self-interest or of, of the interest that arises from principle, they should have been on the other side. And the yeah. question that is the question that arises from the from the fact that the anti-establishment didn't the the conservative anti-establishment didn't rise up to you know nail this guy is that. The conservative anti-establishment is a business proposition as much as it is um, a philosophical and movement proposition. And what they have learned over the past couple of years is X gets 3% direct mail response and Y gets 5% direct mail response. And so uh, they start getting more interested in what – what generates uh, returns from their packages than on core principle, and that's yeah. my view of of a lot of what's what's going on here, and in talk radio, which is, you know, what jazzes your audience, feed your audience. Well, what, you're what, not really so a leader; just, you're an entertainer, so you be, give them what they want. Just to be specific, what what jazzes your dwindling audience, right? Well, I mean, in pro- radio, by the way, if your audience is dwindling, then you are even more desperate. But ev- every, well, yeah, everyone, right. every, but that's what every I meant. Everybody in talk radio has a dwindling audience. Right. Now, but you know what doesn't have a dwindling audience, I Rob? know what doesn't. I you know. know what doesn't? Casper Mattresses. Casper and you want to know why Casper Mattresses doesn't have a dwindling audience? Because they're awesome. They are awesome. And I'm going to tell you my personal experience with their awesomeness. But hey, I John, first I'm going to tell John, you. Yes, Rob. Do you have a personal experience with Casper Mattresses? I do. Oh, and, okay. you know, the reason that I do is that I knew that Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. I knew that the mattress industry has inherently forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups. And I knew that the establishment. Casper <laughs> is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing the savings directly on to the consumer, and I knew this, and you know what I did? I went for my uh, nine-year-old who was complaining that her mattress felt like rocks. I went and I got myself, got her, a Casper mattress. I ordered the Casper mattress. After removing the rocks. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, I can't believe it's like they're lying on a bed of rocks. Well, uh, how, so you're telling me that a Pedorts child knows how to complain? Huh. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you. The Casper mattress arrives at 5.30 in the afternoon. It's a twin mattress, so it's not the biggest that they have. It arrives in a box that I would say is, seems shockingly small, very compact, white, in a box. White box. Guy brings it in. I say thank you. 
I open the box. In the box is a folded up, is something that appears to be folded. I pull it out and it bloing and there it is. It's a roll and the mattress is in a roll in the box in um, uh, a kind of, uh, not cellophane, but, you know, in some kind of, you know, it's sort of plastic, uh, loose plastic sheeting and uh, it comes with a little razor and I cut the razor, I take the razor, I drag it across the plastic and bloing. Funny you mentioned razors. Anyway, go ahead. And bloing the mattress Folds open, pops open, and I take the mattress, the old mattress off the bed, and I take this mattress and I put it on the bed. And it is, you know, what it feels like is sort of like a memory foam mattress. Also coming in the box is a big plastic bag because uh, – That's for your children to play with. Exactly. (laughs) Before your children play with it, what you do is you take the old mattress – you put it in the big bag that they right. provide. You seal the bag and you take it downstairs because in a lot of cities and how, how long City, is this spot? Just, just, I'm just wanted this to know. took me. I just want to say this took me okay. five minutes from delivery to you the actually, mattress on the bed. You've literally been talking minutes. about caster mattresses longer than it took you to undo the t- caster mattress. Pretty much because they provide resilience, long-lasting comfort and support. New hybrid mattress combines premium latex foam with memory foam, and it, and the uh, the the twin cost five hundred bucks. I got another one for my eleven year old right afterwards, uh, and the convenience is unbelievable. I have a hundred days to return it, to return the two of them, which I'm not going to. But um, statistically, lying on a bed for four minutes in a showroom has no correlation to whether it's the right bed for you. So you have a hundred days to choose. My kids are actually sleeping better and are not complaining about their mattresses. And that alone is worth the price of admission. So, obsessively engineered mattress, shockingly fair price, just the right sink, just the right bounce, free trial and return policy. Get $50 off. Go to casper.com slash glop. Use the coupon code glop at, at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Trust me, I, I'm, I'm telling you, Everything I say is the M is my hand to God. This is true, what I'm telling you. That just happened in my house with Casper mattress. So not not to belabor this point, but um, I too have a Casper mattress. I um, have not taken it out of the box yet. It is sitting um, in the foyer in my house. The box, this is a queen, and it's uh, the box is about the size of the box that – you would that you would transport the gimp from Pulp Fiction in, uh-huh. um, and um, I'm just trying to use a you know a metric that everyone can understand. And um, dated reference, dated very, reference. I'm, I'm very excited. BB-8 uh, would fit uh, in the box. Do it. <laughs> um, it, all right, if you want a more current one, it is um it is it is it is the uh, about the size of the box that uh was a Tyron Lannister was shipped. Uh, um, off to uh, the free cities um, out of Westeros in Game of right. Thrones. Excellent. And um, there you go. So uh, hopefully in, in the next Glop podcast, I will be able to take less time but tell a wonderful, equally wonderful tale of my Casper mattress experience. Uh, so we thank Casper for sponsoring for sponsoring Glop Culture and – We've been talking about Trump and talking about Trump and talking about Trump as usual. But, of course, 
The other story, and arguably potentially a bigger political story, oddly enough, is that Bernie Sanders is liable to win uh, Iowa and New Hampshire and possibly New Hampshire at, with, uh, you know, by 15 or 20 percentage points. Um, he raised $37 million in the last quarter with more, with more donors in one quarter than anyone wow. has ever gotten before. Two million small donors. More, more than Obama did in 2011. Nothing like this has ever happened before. And uh, the and meanwhile, everyone is sort of obsessing over this. The media are not re- – you would think, oh, boy, the media, they love a race. They really – they love a good race. You know, that's, the media is not no, they biased. Don't love that. They're biased against – they love a horse race. And as Matt Continetti says in the upcoming issue of Commentary, there has been a Bernie Sanders blackout effectively for months they don't cover him. They don't talk about him. They poo-poo him. After after Hillary did really well in the first debate in October, the idea was he was done. He was finished. He was through. And it was after that debate that he raised $37 million. So, you know, as as uh, hippies like Bernie Sanders are wont to uh, ask following uh, the song of the 60s, there's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. Uh, but it's big, and it could be very big, and I think there are two sides of it, right? One of them is that she's an unimaginative, uninteresting, uh, conventional, leading candidate at a time when people are looking for something else, and the other is that she's a crook, and <laughs> Democrats know she's a crook, and ordinary Democrats can hear about the email servers and the Clinton Foundation just as conservatives can and feel just as uneasy, even if they're more inclined to be defensive of her because all things being equal, they kind of like her in a way that conservatives obviously kind of don't. Um, but, you know, if you have a choice between a Ghanif and a not Ghanif, you might be more interested in thinking more charitably about the not Ghanif, particularly if he has a the nice – Ghanif is a bad thing? Yes. Ghanif is thief in Yiddish. Ghanif is thief. So particularly if he's got a very plain, simple and uh, message that resonates with people, which is – you um, are screwed. Right. You are screwed by rich people. You are screwed by Wall Street. But isn't that? I, mean, I am going to do what I can to end yeah. your screw. And implicitly, she's with them. She's one of the people I mean, who's it's, screwing it's you. The right, I mean, isn't this the same feeling that people have? This kind of dissatisfaction with the way things are going. And if you've been, you know, if you've been listening to politicians for the past twenty-five or thirty years, the Republican message has been. Um, uh, the economy's changing. We're selling your job to the Chinese and to the Mexicans, uh, and there's not nothing you can do about it. And the Democratic message has been: the economy's changing. We're selling your jobs to the to Mexicans and the Chinese, but we're going to put you on welfare. And for a lot of people, that's those are not good solutions. And so they, if you're a little bit more to the right, maybe you like Trump more. If you're a little more to the left, maybe you like Bernie more. But the truth is, both of them are going to enact tariffs. Both of them are going to like are, are, are fighting a populist war, and both of them are, are are surging in places that you didn't expect. Now he's lucky because she is a Ghanif, 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 not Ganif, Ghanif, Ganif. She she's a smuck and a Ganif. Um, but uh, what, what what's interesting to me is like is, is if she loses New Hampshire. Remember in in, in two thousand eight she won New Hampshire. 
because right. she imported it was a it was a union deal. She just imported a lot of people, uh, and she she got it done. If she can't get New Hampshire done this time, isn't she dead? Well, she's not dead because the structure of the Democratic Party makes it almost impossible for Bernie Sanders to prevail. Half the delegates in the Democratic Party are super delegates. They but, are say elected this, officials. Didn't say this in two thousand eight. No, no, no. Because remember the the. She didn't have them wired, and they and they're super delegates, and they can go with the flow, and they are you know mostly committed to her. Okay, so uh, I was talking to, to to Richard Epstein yesterday on yesterday's Ricochet podcast. So if you guys just listen to Glop, you should listen to the Ricochet podcast. It's also absolutely. on the Ricochet dot com page. And we asked Richard. I mean, he's not a criminal uh, um, attorney. I mean, I think he he might be a criminal, but he's not a criminal attorney. He doesn't really know. But he, I, we said, what's what. Given your experience with the law, what percent, what's the most conservative estimate, uh, percentage prediction that Hillary Clinton is indicted? And he said 30%, which is insanely high for someone yes. running for president of the United States. Jonah, what is your percent? Um, I think her percent of being indicted is probably – Ten percent. The chances that there is a criminal referral from the FBI saying that she should be indicted is about ninety-eight percent. Damn. Whoa, really? Yeah. Well, listen. I, I think it's not only do I think it is How unlikely that? that is unlikely that 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 she's indicted. I think that an argument could be made that it is highly problematic if, in the middle of an election season, let's say, in you know, I mean, really late in the election season. If an indictment is 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 handed down or is sort of forced upon the justice system, that you would have a, a, a circumstance in which, you know, prosecutors would be t- putting their fingers or you know, U.S. attorney, whatever, would be putting their fingers on a scale, uh, or people could argue. Well, when that, are you, you going to do it? I mean, w- w- if you're going to issue an indictment, I mean, when are you going to do it? After the election? Better do it before that than way. after the inauguration. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, no, I, I'm I'm not I'm not arguing the point. I'm saying that it would be an unprecedented thing to happen. It's very hard to believe but that the I mean, can Obama you, can, Justice Department, you know, Obama. Well, that's my point. Okay. That, yeah. yeah. Would would refer would would take the referral and 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 you know and and go by it. Having so here's said my that, prediction. Yeah. Why wouldn't he? Okay. Go here's ahead. Your go prediction. ahead. Okay. My prediction, having talked to some people, how do I put this? Some people close to the, the the investigation, as it were, or reporting on the investigation, um, that, you have all sorts of interesting conversations um, hanging around Fox Green Rooms as much as I do. Um, uh, James Comey, right, who's the head of the FBI, who my own lovely wife worked with a little bit when she was in the Justice Department, he is not quite the Boy Scout that people make him out to be, but he does love, dearly love his reputation for being a Boy Scout and um, and being a straight shooter, which is the next best thing, right? Um, and so, he, first of all, you got to remember that his term extends well past, you know, I think he's got, right. like, what, six, six, eight more years on his term. So he's a little politically insulated. And uh, the, the, the main criminology theorizing about this is that all of these leaks about the nature of the investigation and how the a- FBI's A-team is on this, that is in part to send a message that if this thing gets spiked by Loretta Lynch, it's going to be, a, it's going to be clear to everybody that it was a political decision 
and that the FBI dotted all its I's and crossed all its T's in part because – and this is the part where it gets a little murky and there could be some you know, BS rumor mongering in Washington. Um, it's a point like Joe DeGeneva makes all the time and again, I just – I'm not sure it's entirely true because you could have people talking to only one set of people in the bureaucracy than the FBI. But the theory is, is that – or the, 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 the scuttlebutt is, is that the rank and file guys are outraged by what Hillary did. And these are guys who spend much of their time prosecuting hardworking patriotic Americans for far less. Yeah, David. Betrayed. And if they if they let her off of the off the hook for this, there will be, it will be like if Laura Ranch gets a criminal referral that's airtight, and then says I'm not going to do this, um, that there will be it'll be like the firing of the midnight judges, and there will be mass resignations, and there'll be a huge protest, and Comey is setting this up so that the problem is a big, steaming, swirly pile on Loretta Lynch's desk and not his. And, um, and, if that's, and so I think Loretta Lynch, because there's no way you replace Eric Holder with anybody who is not going to be a team player on fundamental political stuff like this. I think Lynch takes the hit, spikes it, opts not to do a, uh, an indictment, or only indicts maybe Huma or Sullivan and not Hillary herself. And um, or find some sort of scuzzy, you know, third option that seems like it's a big deal but really isn't. Um, and there will be a huge political uproar about it. But that Hillary won't, in fact, be indicted. I think she should be. Um, and I, you know, I agree with you entirely, John. That that it is a huge problem for prosecutors to get in the middle of a presidential election. But we should all at least acknowledge when we're having those conversations. That the person to blame for that is the person who set up of a homebrewed illegal server. Of course, full. Of course, of I, look. I don't want to. I, I don't want. I'm just saying. I'm saying it's a. We're talking. Look, a lot of unprecedented things seem to be happening. So this may be one of them. And so the question you have to ask yourself is: if you want to play this scenario out, does this happen in time for either a? It happens at a point at which Hillary and Sanders are really contesting you know they are close in delegate count there's a lot going on you know it's the middle of march and it leaks that she's not going to be indicted but that there was a referral and people and there's a huge uproar and what's more people in the media now have to cover themselves they have to cover their asses on this because they've been playing games and they know that it's better for them to start you know like really writing about this fairly and properly and so they go after her. So does Sanders then charge forward as the clean guy who isn't the you know who is who isn't in this kind of trouble? Or does it happen even later in the cycle? And then there is this big question: is there a Torricelli option? Is there a way, as in New Jersey? You think Torricelli is going to be the next Torricelli, president of the United States? Yeah. That we, Bob Torricelli will be the next president of the United States. No, that, 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 that there will be a gigantic late switcheroo. Oh, and, a late switcheroo. And sitting, and sitting in the, you know, in, in the West Wing is, is the Joe vice Biden? president of the United States 
you know, uh, trying to cure cancer like like Obama said he had to do in 12 months. <laughs> in the state of Michigan. Regrettably, he has to, like Cincinnatus, he has to put down that cancer plow. He's got to get Steve taking off his, like, his, lab, his lab goggles and putting down the test tube exactly. and then turning to the to president saying, sir, yeah. yeah. Now, can it be done technically? I, I don't know. Then there are all these other scenarios, you know, that Hillary Bloomberg gets in. You know, Hillary Bloomberg. Bloomberg. No, the Bloomberg gets in <laughs> as an independent um, because I, Trump is at twenty nine percent approval with the electorate, and Hillary's dirty. And maybe for the I, first time in American history, a third party candidate can at least throw it into the House. I hear that Bloomberg is doing con- constant, consistent, and very deep, elaborate polling. In six important states, Are right sure? now, yes, today. absolutely. So the guy who says he's not running is certainly taking numbers every day. And why wouldn't he? I mean, why? I'm just saying. Like, if you actually look at, uh, if you look at the, the 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 lay of the land politically, you might have this incredibly damaged Democratic candidate. And despite what conservatives and anti-establishment types thinks, think, an extremely unpopular Republican candidate, either Cruz or Trump, and you have these two wounded parties that are extremely unpopular with the public limping toward an election – and maybe the guy wrong? on the white horse comes in from that. He was a Democrat and a Republican. He's a rich guy like Trump, and he doesn't know anybody. We're all going to lose pounds says. under President Bloomberg. <laughs> I just think it might well be the uh, it might well be the you know the what's happening. That's all I'm you know. There's a, but you know nobody thought Trump would be here now, and nobody thought that Sanders would raise forty million dollars and might win New Hampshire by twenty points. So believe God only know, everything is up. Everything is up. Okay, now you know what else. Is a problem for uh, Americans. Uh, their whispers, <laughs> their whiskers are a problem. And just as we need disruption, people seem to think we need disruption in the political system. So there is disruption in the whisker system. Meaning, Harry's dot com, started by two guys passionate about creating a better shaving experience. Now. Harry's, as you know, I use. I have a great time with it. I've been using it for a year, and I think it's, you know, just a fantastic razor, shaving cream. I don't use the aftershave because I don't use aftershave. I'm sure it's good. Uh, they bought you a blade. Use the lotion. Factor. You use the I, lotion. I don't use anything after. I, I like I, I like a good fresh you have feel. A drying. You have John a drying? puts the lotion in the basket, or he gets the hose again. <laughs> it puts Sorry. the lotion in the basket. The lotion on its face, so it gets a dry feeling. <laughs> so Harry's bought a blade so factory in Germany. You, in Germany, as you were clipping through this. It bought a blade factory in Germany. Been crafting some of the world's highest quality blades for almost a century. They cut out the middleman. They offer an amazing shave at a fraction of the price of drugstore brands, and they ship the blades right to your door at factory direct prices. Their starter kit is just fifteen bucks. A razor, three blades, your choice of Harry's shave cream or foaming shave gel is an added bonus. You can get five dollars off your first purchase with the coupon code GLOP. So that means take my offer: ten bucks, three razors, three blades, a razor. Shaving cream, foaming, shave gel. It's unbelievable. Ten, an entire month's worth of shaving for 10 bucks. Shipping is free. 
You've lost your NPR. Free shipping. I am now. It went very AM. I've gone QVC. Yeah. Is, that, is how I like to think of it. Yeah. So go to Harry's.com now, and Harry's will give you that $5 off if you type the code GLOP with your first purchase. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com and enter coupon code G-L-O-P at checkout for $5 off. Start shaving smarter today. I got to say, you know, one of the things I like about our sponsors is that so many of them are, in fact, disruptors, right? I mean, right. we are helping bring the fight against Big Mattress and Big Razor. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and that's that's a good fight. That is a good side of the fight to be on. Right. Well, it is interesting what happened. You know, I, I you know my um my uh, my little uh, hobby obsession is uh, uh, uh container shipping as I've once mentioned here that I feel like the, the container shipping um brought us the 20th century and not computers that we wouldn't have computers without container shipping and shipping itself and shipping and delivery and really simple things about shipping and delivery have, have made all these things possible. It's not as if Casper mattresses was hindered by, um, you know, mattress technology. It's their problem was that they didn't, they didn't have a shipping, um, a way of getting it to you that they felt was reliable. Same thing with Harry's, right? It's just that the idea of getting something shipped to you was so expensive for so long that that was considered like, well, no one's really going to get these things through the mail. It's cheaper to drive to the store. But the truth is that all of this stuff is made possible by this incredible revolution in supply chain management and shipping technology, FedEx. I mean I actually once went to the FedEx um, – uh, headquarters in Memphis. There's there's sort one of their biggest sorting centers in the world, and to watch it at midnight is extraordinary. It's like a wonder of the world. I really mean it. Like you're watching the most extraordinary thing happen. Stuff getting to where it's supposed to get overnight. It's like Ricochet uh, headquarters at midnight. Exactly, right. unbelievable, it's like unbelievable efficiency. And the same thing, like <laughs> sitting on the deck of a, of a giant container, the Hanjin Miami in. Um, in uh, Busan, Korea, a huge container port, and just sitting there in a folding chair, smoking a cigar, watching these cranes remove, you know, eight thousand containers, and then repack the ship all within five or six hours is just like that's just amazing to me. That's an it was an amazing thing to watch, uh, and I feel like I mean I realize that now I'm. We're just talking about Glop here, but I, I feel like that's that's the thing that these companies can, are built on. They're built on this incredible system we have of delivery. Like where I am in Venice, California, the UPS truck drives up and down my street maybe twice, three times a day. Same thing with the FedEx truck. The morning, the early morning, the mid-morning, and then the afternoon. And it's somehow it's efficient. Somehow these companies do it. It's pretty extraordinary. I mean – And this, you know, this is one of the interesting things that – that that Marco Rubio talks about on the stump that you know if he ever got five seconds worth of attention maybe people would notice which is that he's you know he points out that there is all this change technological dramatic change in the way everything goes and that we're running like the po- the government runs like the post office that 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 the lessons of uh, productivity enhancement and the and and the service that government could provide if it just was able to adopt and adapt the lessons that we have learned over you know the last thirty five years would be would make an enormous um, uh, difference and betterment in the lives of taxpayers and Americans in general, and it just can't happen because of structural inefficiencies that uh, that benefit 
um, so many, you know, current stakeholders yeah. and 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 the system um, as it's. But look stands. how well they like. Here's a here's a company. They're, they're not a sponsor, but it's it's a really interesting company called Trunk Club, and Trunk Club is a men's clothing uh, internet. Retailer, sort of, and what Trunk Club does is they sort of talk to you on the phone, or you put you input your stuff, and they, they figure out what your style is, and they because they know men don't really want to go shop. So how do you get men to like buy new clothes but don't go but not in a store? You send it to them, but then men are like, ah, you know, I'm gonna try it on if it doesn't fit, then I got to put it, find a box and put it back, and I have to like send it and take it to the place, <laughs> and they're like, no, we send it to you in a box that recloses that looks like a little suitcase, and you whatever you doesn't whatever doesn't fit, you just put back in the box and send it back to us. We don't care. Um, and then, you know, then if, even if you're a guy, you're a guy like, well, what, I, I don't have any tape, right? Where am I going to find the tape to tape up the box? We send you the, the two strips of tape in the box. So they remove all the friction from the mm-hmm. transaction. And at that point, you're like, well, what do I have to lose? This is, not, this is fantastic. I should just do this all the time. And it really is amazing to me. You know, Al Jazeera, I just wrote a column for this for the Abu Dhabi paper. Al Jazeera is closing at the, in, in Al Jazeera America is shutting down sometime March or April. Because they just simply didn't get any traction. And um, whether we think of Al Jazeera, whatever you think about the news, I don't – I mean I, I never watched it. And here's why I didn't watch it. I never – I was never able to find it because they spent 25 or $30 million launching the channel with all sorts of glossy ads and like these big bus cards in Manhattan. I mean they did a big job trying to launch this channel. But they never told me where to find it. <laughs> so you, if you ask your customer to do all that work, your customer says no. I don't have time to do all that work. Every business should be saying to you, here's here's how easy it is for you. You just sit. I'll give you a card and the card will say DirecTV, it's channel 495 or whatever. That's what that's what these companies need and they just never think that way. Whenever so, when a company like this fails, it's usually because they wanted me to do too much work. I shouldn't do any work at all. So getting back to John's point about how government can't do this stuff because this is a big <laughs> Wait. Pet, pet peeve of mine. Yeah. Um Going way back, you know, every every generation, there's this, you know, and Newt was a big, uh, was guilty of this in a lot of ways. He constantly talked about, you know, bringing FedEx values into the government, and it just it just doesn't work because the government doesn't do that, particularly with labor unions. Anyway, and also coming back to sort of reporting on things I heard on NPR about a month ago, I was listening. I came in on this conversation on there's a local radio show here called the Kojo Namdi Show, and. Uh, they were having a discussion about how I think it's Montgomery County still has this prohibition era thing where only the county can – sort of like the state of Pennsylvania. Only the county can buy booze and then mm-hmm. they resell it to restaurants and bars and there's some state legislator who wants to get rid of this because it's incredibly expensive and inefficient and it's pissing off a lot of the restaurant owners and bar owners because they can't get timely deliveries and it's 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 hurting their their business and there's no reason for it right i mean every almost every other place in america doesn't do this anymore it's just a government thing and so the person they had to come in to defend the existing policy was the head of the local county government union that covers these employees. <laughs> and what I loved about his defense was he never once made any effort in any way that I heard, maybe I missed it you know, in the beginning part of the conversation, but I don't think so, of actually defending this function of government on the merits. <laughs> Instead, he just simply went straight to, there are 300 people employed by this agency and if we get rid of it they'll lose their jobs and these jobs these are good 
good middle class jobs and mostly they're going to minorities and women and this is a path to the middle class and you guys just want to get rid of it and I had to wonder – I mean first of all, as a taxpayer, you have to wonder, so wait a second. This is just a jobs program that actually makes it more difficult for me to get the booze I want when I go out to dinner? Yeah, but don't secondly, get – whatever you do, don't get in between Joan and the booze. But secondly, can you imagine how you feel – because you know all the people back at the office were li- listening to this and how it, how it must feel to have the head of your union defending your job – Without any reference to the actual merits of what you do, <laughs> just because it keeps you employed. And that's, that's why government can't do what Casper and Harry's and FedEx right. do. Because the nature of government has become like, – like Skynet has become self-aware. It has become a class interest unto itself. Government unions, which are the bane of our existence, um, their first priority is protecting themselves and their interests and helping the public a, at best a distant second. And um, I just thought it was sort of amazing. Yeah, you, you know what else is a bane to our existence, Jonah, and a, a scler- has a sclerotic effect on our, our national efficiency? What would I'll that tell be, you, Rob? Email. Oh, email. email. Let me ask you a question. Uh, how, many, how many emails do you have in your inbox right now? 100, 1,000, 20,000? I, I mean, lots, I have, right? I have, uh, I think, 119,000 emails. 119,000. If your email is anything like mine, uh, or how mine used to be, to be quite fit, to be quite honest. The answer is you got too many and you don't know what to do with them. Uh, but look, even if you want to do something about them, like what are you going to do? You can't just delete all the emails because what if one's important or something? You can't go through them one by one. I mean you, you'll just be doing it forever. Uh, here's the secret, um, and I've been using it for two – almost. I think I've been using it for three years. Sane Box, S-A-N-E Box, and I can't recommend it enough. Sane Box sorts through your email, moves all of the trivial stuff into a different folder, so only the messages in your inbox are the ones you actually want to see that day. Aside from moving all of the junk so you can focus on messages that matter, there's also this awesome thing called the black hole. You move an email you never want to see again from a sender you never want to see again to the black hole. You will never see an email from that person again. Uh, it's it's it, it is a fantastic tool, but you also have like saying later or saying next week. If you move an email to saying next saying next week box, um, it just pops up in your email a week later, so that you don't have to deal with it now. Um, it is an incredible feeling to have an empty or near empty inbox and know that everything else has been taken care of. Um, Visit sanebox.com slash glop today and they'll throw in an extra $25 credit on top of the two-week free trial. You don't have to enter your credit card unless you decide to buy, so there's nothing to lose. Check it out today and let me know if you love this black hole thing and reaching inbox zero, which I do every – probably every five days as much as I do. That's sanebox, S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com slash glop. I am an actual – this is an amazing thing. We're actual users of these products. This is a fantastic, fantastic solution. We are disruptors. We also are disruptors. They're disruptors and we're disruptors. And do you know what Rob and I did? I just want to tell everybody what Rob and I did on um, the morning. Uh, and when I say morning, I mean one thirty in the morning on December 18th. Can I tell you what Rob and I did? We went to the oh, one yeah, thirty a.m. Right. show yeah. of Star Wars, uh, The Force Awakens, the night that it opened at the uh, AMC uh, 84th Street with leaning with chairs that lean back. We had we had some food and some coffee beforehand at a 24 hour place nearby, and um, we really liked it. Right? I, I really liked it. I thought it's really good. 
I mean, you know, there it you know, it's not the equal of the original and it's got a lot of flaws and it doesn't quite hit you in the gut the way you want it to and all sorts of things, but um, you know, it was so much better than I thought it was going to be. Number one, and and number two, I think um, uh, I I in my life have criticized J.J. Abrams a lot for you know not developing plots and not doing this and not doing that. But the guy can cast things like nobody's business, and he found these two. I think three. I mean, he didn't find Adam Driver because Adam Driver is already sort of a pretty well known person because of girls and other stuff but he found daisy ridley to play the lead woman and he found uh uh now i'm trying john boyanga to play uh finn the the star trooper who comes to consciousness all of a sudden and i mean and and driver as the sort of as the neo uh, darth vader and they were both all three of them were spectacularly good and that's not exact good acting is not what uh star wars <laughs> Was originally about. <laughs> yeah, um, never, it's never. Let's had say it. to put it to put it to yeah. put it mildly. I mean, not only were the the last three acted horrifically to a degree that you know no one could even begin. But you know, if Harrison Ford had not, and Harrison Ford, and to a lesser extent, Billy D. Williams had not been in the first three. You know, I mean, the the the, the acting was just horrible, and he really was able to build a couple of interesting characters. I thought so. Um, so and uh, Jonah, I don't think we've talked about it. No, what was your what, what was your take? Yeah, no, I don't think we have. Um, I, I liked it. I agree. I, th- I think you're absolutely right that it, it was. Um, it, it 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 left you wanting a little bit more, but it gave you so much more than you sort of felt like you were going to get. So that you know, it was a positive experience. Some things that you know. You know, as you put it in your your review, the politics of Star Wars. I mean, I don't mean the politics like left, right in America. I mean like the political structure of the galaxy makes no friggin' sense whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. The, and, yeah, um, the, yeah, the resistance is also the order, right? Or the, or the you know the uh, yeah the anyway. the Republic has the resistance, and you know, and 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 anyway, that all that stuff is sort of best just to ignore it. And um, I don't, <laughs> and I thought that the 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 whole uh, let's make another it's not a Death Star because it's so much bigger thing <laughs> was so ridiculous you know it's like um, oh no you know we're, we're not, you know I understand you know the first one and the third one had Death Stars and we you know we get all this grief for not being original so we're not going to have a Death Star in this one we're going to have a really big Death Star and I thought that was kind of ridiculous I did but, like um, the fact that they showed you how big it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's a little one that you remember from when you were a kid. Basically, they say, "Here's." I felt like they were saying, "Hey, Rob, here's what you remember when you were 11, and here's what it looks like now." I was like, "Whoa, that's big!" So I, I actually appreciated the big Death Star. And, you know, it's um, not fair, that- also, because it was 30 years later. The fact is that you know, in a in a in a proper technological universe, the Death Star should have been about. Uh, you know, a twentieth of the size with twenty more right. times power. That's Moore's law, right? Yeah. It should be a little, right. kind of like a like a dot, really. It should be like the but size also, of a just, dot. The and they should say, somehow- you know, that Death Star. You know, it took that Death Star. You know, that was floppy disks. You know, that was like uh, it took a whole room to destroy a planet. But now we can do it with an iPhone. That that would have been That's more, I think, better. 
appropriate. Yeah. Well, but again, they had the government. Also, the whole like, the whole thing is like you know, even today in 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 in, in twenty sixteen America, we have the ability to make a single bomb that could destroy the plant, all life on this planet. The idea that somehow building this giant white elephant in space makes more sense for planetary destruction than sending some droid with a suitcase bomb into downtown Naboo is sort of ridiculous. Jonah, this was in the past. It was a long time ago. But it was was less long long ago than the first one. That's right, but it was still right. a long Catch time ago, a galaxy far, far away. I mean, you know, you know, they might have suitcase missile defense that you know that that, that can be that can be defeated. Also, but, there's some weird thing that when they said like, I thought that was just legend. Well, it was only 20 years ago. Right. I mean, you know, that's like saying yeah. the Spin Doctors were a band. I thought that was just legend. Well, 20 years ago, they were everywhere. <laughs> like, uh, what do you mean, legend? The spin doctor. You know what I mean? Like go back to 1996. Like, uh, and like uh, I don't know. The Friends. Did, There's a show called Friends on. Were there legends of Jimmy Carter are true? <laughs> were there really blowfish? Yeah. Was there a hoodie? Hoodie is on a mysterious wow. planet that looks well, like now that's, now that's a dated reference, John. I'm, <laughs> and and I think you know we can probably close on the fact that we began with a dated reference and we can close with a dated reference. But here is not a dated reference, which is to say that on uh, February sixth, Saturday night in February sixth, eighth, uh, wait sixth on Six. Saturday night in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire. Um, uh, you can look it up on uh, Ricochet and on National Review online. Uh, we will be doing a two-part live glop uh, surrounding the Wait. broadcast of the la- of the of the Republican debate in New Hampshire that night, uh, sponsored by 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 Ricochet and by National Review. So we will be doing uh, a pre-show and a post-show. And then everybody in the ballroom will be invited to stick around and watch the debate and cry, um, and uh, and and it's a pretty exciting thing. We've done it um, actually aboard ship. <laughs> we uh, we did it once in a bar. We did it once aboard ship, and um, and it uh, uh, people really liked it. And so, if you want to register for it, uh, I guess. Uh, Hold on, I'm trying to find the actual uh, information. Well, well, we'll put we'll put the information in the show notes on the on Ricochet. Just go to ricochet.com. Right, so go to ricochet.com to register. I think it's uh, uh, you know there's a there's a limit to the size of the room, but anybody who is in the region in the area, um, it'll you know it'll be a lot of fun and uh, and uh, possibly extremely apocalyptic, and uh, you know we will all be possibly discussing. Venues in which maybe we can build a new verdant civilization on the, you know, uh, once we have to abandon this one um, uh, next November, one way or the other, or not, or maybe, or maybe a lot of things will change between yeah, or, now and then, or maybe it's going to be good. And there also, we should point out there will be a bar, which is always good. There, there will be a bar, yeah, but the and yeah, there will be bar and food, but the bar is not free. The bar is not free. That's right. The bar is no, not free, but we don't believe in free. free. And um, there will also be it'll 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 be sort of like a 
Cannonball Run. There'll be cameo appearances from all sorts of National Review people walking around yeah. that you can hobnob with. And, and Dom, uh, Dom, Dom DeLuise, um, uh, <laughs> uh, Foster Brooks will sure. be at the bar. James Coco, James Coco, Charles uh, <laughs> Nelson Riley. And, and yeah. rumors that, that John will use a Harry's razor to shave between glop uh, sessions yeah. uh, have not been and confirmed, but it's entirely possible. We and then we're going to have a, have, a, have a Casper mattress contest. Casper get mattress in, in, live on stage. You've got to get into hotel <laughs> elevator and then open up the mattress. <laughs> Um, uh, anyway, so please, 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 uh, join us if you can. And, uh, and, and we, it will also be available to listen to because it will be podcasted and, uh, live and, and uh, live and on tape. So, but and also, if you don't see it live, it's just not the same thing. It's not the same thing. You, know, you gotta see the live act. And, uh, if you are listening to the Glob podcast, you enjoy it, uh, you, you, uh, please go to ricochet.com and sign up and become a member. We need your membership. Uh, don't be a Ghanif of podcasts. Of podcasts. <laughs> I love it. I love it when 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 Rob when Rob goes Jewish. I love it when Rob goes Jewish. One day we will we will we yeah. will get him. <laughs> he will be wearing he will be wearing phylacteries. I will define that for him later. He will be he will have he will have uh, he will have payas. And you know what? Uh, the be minute I convert, the first thing I'm going to say is, John, you're not Jewish enough. You're not observant enough. <laughs> What's wrong with you? By the way, that's actually true. That's actually <laughs> that is actually literally what what yeah. what you will what you will do. So um, and uh, anyway, so it's uh, been a great and sobering uh, last uh, hour and a little bit, and uh, we will see you on the sixth of February. Snow is in New Hampshire. See you, fellas. Keep up alive. Join the conversation. We can lay some bombs, I sing.